Well, for weeks now, we've been in a series called A Faith That Works When Life Doesn't. It's based on the life and teachings of St. Paul. And in the early weeks, we talked about Paul's confidence in God. And then we moved on to his conviction that in hardship, we become better, stronger people. And this week and next, we're going to look at Paul's belief that faith in Jesus Christ is the way to find meaning and purpose in life. Paul believed that life is not about comfort and pleasure. And even though he was a fan of hard work, he didn't believe that working for achievement in this life was all that mattered. So what is it then that gives life meaning and purpose? Well, Paul had an answer, an answer that weaves together three ideas that he summarizes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. Here's what he says. He says, We remember before God and, our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. These are the three characteristics, and he starts here with work produced by faith. My brother retired last year um, after 35 years with 3M as a plant manager, and he loves 3M. His garage has a floor-to-ceiling um, set of shelves that are just loaded with 3M products, with post-it notes and command hooks and painter's tape and scotch tape. In fact, my brother has so many cases of the stuff that you think he is probably planning to live to be 100 because it will take him that long to use all of this up. My brother believes in 3M. He wouldn't even think of buying a competitor's product because he is convinced that whatever 3M makes is the best in its category. But here's the deal. My brother refuses to eat hot dogs. You couldn't pay him $100 to wolf down a ballpark frank at a Kansas City Royals game. He'd rather starve than bite into a foot-long hot dog, even if it's smothered in chili and cheese. And I know what you're thinking. What does 3M have to do with hot dogs? Well, my brother's loyalty to 3M and his loathing for hot dogs have the same source. My brother was a senior in college when he began to interview for positions uh, with different companies, flying around the country, interviewing with different places. And one of the places that he interviewed was a nationally known meatpacking organization. He was interested in the job in part because it was a good engineering position, but also because it was near his fiance's hometown. And it sounded like it would pay well and would be close to family. And so he interviewed. And he was interested, that is, until he saw hot dogs being made. By the time he left the plant that day, he was convinced and vowed never to eat another hot dog in his life. And to my knowledge, he never has. Needless to say, he didn't take the job. He told me because I just couldn't work for a company if I don't believe in the products. The first of the three qualities that Paul praises the Thessalonians for is their work pro produced by faith. Now, to be clear, he isn't praising them because they tweet constantly about their faith in Jesus. Instead, what he's praising them for is the fact that they then live that faith out. They are convinced of the truth, the truth that Jesus lived and died and rose again, and they put their faith in him. But it isn't just something that rests in their head. It's something that also is lived out. And that might be confusing for some, because isn't salvation about faith in Jesus, not what we do? Other places, Paul makes it clear that a relationship with God comes only by faith in Jesus. But he also believes that faith will eventually be lived out. If we really believe, it will change our lives. Words are important, but they're not enough. Faith means that we will live different kinds of lives, that what we believe will change us, that faith must be lived out. 
Now, just to be clear, faith is not the same thing as feelings. Feelings come and go, but faith holds on despite our changing mood and circumstances. But once we truly grasp what Jesus did for us on the cross, the only proper response we have is to then diligently live out our faith. And once we live, it's not just to earn God's favor, but to do so out of gratitude for the grace that is given us in Jesus Christ. So the first key to meaning and purpose in life is work produced by faith. And the second is labor prompted by love. Labor prompted by love. Now at first this doesn't make sense because we think, isn't love natural? After all, don't we fall in love or find newborn babies irresistible or reconnect with a childhood friend and find we pick up where we left off? So when Paul says labor prompted by love, it leaves us scratching our heads, saying, isn't love easy? What does work have to do with faith? And to make this all even more confusing, the word that Paul uses for labor here has the idea of working to exhaustion until we're tired. In other words, the kind of loving they're doing isn't easy. It costs something. Over the years, I've learned the hard way that sometimes the very people you put yourself out for the most are the ones who appreciate it the least. Sometimes they even turn on you. But Paul says that the Thessalonians were so motivated by God's love for them and their love for him that they were happy to serve others, even if they never got anything in return. But that didn't necessarily mean that their love was accompanied by feelings. The Greeks had a number of words for love, but the Christians passed over all of them that were in common use in the day and chose an obscure word that they then even gave more meaning. The word they chose was agape. This kind of love, they argued, was the highest form of love possible. It's a pure, sacrificial love that has the best interests of others in mind. The early Christians believed that the only way to truly understand agape love is to look at God's love for us. They believed the popular notions of their day, just as we could in ours, were misleading and inadequate. Now, the usual Greek word for love was eros, what we would think of today as romantic love. Romantic love has two unique characteristics, and the first of these is the idea that to love someone, you ought to have a high opinion of them. Sometimes we might even say an overly high opinion. So if you look at a couple in love, you might wonder from the outside, what in the world does she see in him? Or when he says to you, isn't she wonderful, you sort of nod but remain silent. The second characteristic of romantic love is that it has a desire to possess. And by that I mean a sort of exclusivity, where if you love me and I love you, we are a couple. We are together. The natural end of romantic love is to be in a relationship where the two people choose one another. Now you might doubt that, but just think, have you ever heard a guy say, you know, I love her so much, it doesn't matter who she marries? And these two ideas, the idea that the one who is loved is worthy and the desire to possess, are the essence of eros, love. Now, let me be clear, I'm not intending to devalue romantic love. Yes, it can descend into crude lust, but it can also just as easily be a high and pure emotion. That means in its purest expression, it can be a very good thing. It's just not what Paul's talking about. And it's not the Christian idea of love. You see, God doesn't love us because we're worthy. His love isn't given us because he sees our hidden potential. That's because God sees us for who we are, warts and all. And still he loves us. He loves us even though we can give him nothing of meaning in return. 
He loves us because it's his nature to love. And he gives himself to us to bless us, not to get anything out of us. Paul concludes that no matter how sinful and rebellious we might be, God loves us. He expressed this well in Romans 5.8 when he said, While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Agape love is transformational. Once we grasp the depth of God's love for us, the unconditional offer of grace given us through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, we learn to extend that agape love that God gives us to others. We become imitators of God's love in a way that we love others open-handedly, not only loving those we deem worthy, but all. To love sacrificially, not expecting anything in return. Love viewed this way is not purely an emotion, but it's an act of the will. This kind of love grows as we understand more of God's goodness and grace given to us. Once we comprehend the sacrifice that Jesus made for us on the cross, we're more motivated to work hard to love others the way that he has loved us. So, to work produced by faith and labor prompted by love, Paul adds a final characteristic, and that is endurance inspired by hope. Now, the word endurance here is not a passive acceptance of difficulty. And the word hope that he mentions here isn't just wishful thinking that hopes things will work out in the end. Endurance here is the strong patience that can face up to difficulties. It's able to bear up because of its hope in God. And the hope Paul's talking about here is the confidence that remains even when everything around us looks hopeless. Many today struggle to hold on to hope. It's been a grim year. Between COVID and now the disturbing realization of our country's racial sins, these things have been laid bare, it would be easy for us to become pessimistic. In the face of these challenges, some have grown disillusioned. So when things don't work, work out, they're often tempted to pursue something else. Considering that the grass on the other side of the fence is greener, we may begin an affair, get a divorce, we may uh, go on an exotic or expensive vacation only to find out in the end that we're just as bored as we were when we were at home. Or maybe we decide to buy a bigger house or a nicer car or a vacation property, and in the end we find out we've just exchanged one set of challenges for another. What's awakened in us sometimes is the craving for novelty and adventure, but it doesn't take long for us to realize we're just as disillusioned after we have the shiny new thing as we were before we pulled the credit card out of our wallet. Now others struggle in a different way. When life hands them a disappointment, they grow cynical. Cynics react differently from the disillusioned. Instead of endlessly pursuing new relationships and experience and stuff, cynics just give up. Life sucks and then you die. Cynics are the types who tell their younger friends, yeah, when I was young, I had high hopes and dreams as well, but you'll certain lot not to expect too much out of life. Cynics often are able to avoid the disappointment of the disillusioned, although they give off this buzzkill vibe that makes others want to send them off to Siberia. But what if, as disappointing as life can at times be, the hope within us is real? Perhaps that kind of hope is hardwired in us by our Creator. The Christian understanding of hope is that we should have hope for here and now, but we should have a far greater hope in the world yet to come. Joy here and now is possible, but it's only the appetizer before the main event. We all hope for a world that works the way that it's supposed to, a world of righteousness, justice, and peace, a world of love and joy. 
And the good news in the Bible is that that's not only possible, but guaranteed. It's just that it won't be fully realized here. That means that on occasion we get a glimpse of the world to come, but the place of our true hope is the world that is yet to come. We must not conclude that because our deepest desires are not met here on this earth, that it is all just an illusion, or to let our dissatisfaction lead us into an affair or a shopping trip. But what if we intentionally put our true hope elsewhere in the world that's promised us that is yet to come? The consistent message of the Bible is that this world is not the main act, that the real world is the world that's yet to come, that when Jesus returns, this world will be remade into a new heaven and a new earth, a place of justice and peace, of generosity and love, of contentment and joy. So back to the question that we asked at the beginning. What gives life meaning? What is the purpose of this life? It is to put our firm hope in Jesus and to live that out in acts of faith. It's to work hard to please others, not motivated by duty, but motivated by God's love for us and the example that he has set for us. And to patiently and faithfully hang on because we are confident that we have yet a hope that will be there for us in the future of a different, far better world to come. So let's commit to live these values out, to do what we can to help others, to set aside our interests and give ourselves sacrificially for others. And even if we face opposition, to hold on to hope and in this way, demonstrate the faith, love, and hope given us in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.